Morning, everyone. It's nice to be with you this morning. Um, we're in the middle of a crazy busy weekend. We've, we had our Life Center open day yesterday, um, and then a nice meal with um, all the people who support us financially and in prayer and stuff. So we've been working hard, and straight after this, I'll be off to our church and doing some stuff there, and, and then we might... Um, put my feet up and have some Ben and Jerry's ice cream at the end. That's what, how I usually reward myself. <laughs> um, so today we're talking about um, the church as the temple. And I've got a lovely picture for you. Um, this is a picture from that I took myself, actually, flying in the sky above uh, first century Jerusalem. And um, actually, it's a, it's a model that's, um, that's on, <laughs> it's on a big... <laughs> it's a it's a scale model of what the the um, the temple and first century Jerusalem would have been like, and it's amazing, really, if you look at that, like how the the Temple Mount just towers over the the city, and in the middle of the Temple Mount is is the temple itself, um, and it was the for for the. For the Jews in the first century, the, the temple, and, and throughout the history really, the temple was the center of their faith. It was the place where they would go to meet with God. It was the place that they, that they the psalmist even called it the joy of the whole earth. The joy of the whole earth. And we were going to sing that song actually, weren't we? I heard you practicing it before. <laughs> but um, that, the, the psalm is actually, the psalmist is not talking about God as the joy of the whole earth, but the temple, um, which, which is the joy of the whole earth. And um, when you go to the, to the Temple Mount today, as uh, I did about four years ago, you get to see this sign, which says you are approaching the holy site of the Western Wall, where the divine presence always rests. And you have to wait, make sure you're appropriately and modestly dressed, <laughs> so uh, as to not, not cause harm to the feelings of the worshippers. And, uh, and so it's still, the closest the Jews are allowed to get to the Temple Mount is the Western Wall, and still it is revered as the most holy place that, that, they, can, that they can get to. Um, so there are three things that the Temple was for the Jewish people. Um, uh, in, in, that, in that day. And all of them apply to us today when we talk about the church as, as the temple. The first thing is that the temple for the Jews was the dwelling place of God. Um, there's, a, there's one writer who writes a lot about um, the Jews in the first century, and he says, it's impossible to make too much of the importance of the temple to the Jews in the, in the first century. It's impossible to make too much of it. Um, it was the, the, the it was basically God's address on earth. It was the place where the, the Jews were aware that God was everywhere, but they were also aware that this was the place where He specially dwelt, where you could meet with Him, where you could um, where, where you could encounter Him uh, in the holy of holies. And and so you can see that by the the regulations that they had in in approaching the temple. So. You know, some people were allowed to the outer courts. Uh, some people were allowed in the inner courts. 
Some people were allowed in the holy place, and one person, only once a year, was allowed in the holy of holies. So you had to get more and more pure <laughs> and more and more kind of holy as the close that you got to the center of the temple. And that's how much the Jews valued it. And if you read um, Leviticus 16, which obviously everyone's favorite book is Leviticus, and so you probably read it all the time just for fun. Um, but in, in Leviticus 16, this, it's describing the scene um, in Moses' tabernacle, which obviously is the kind of precursor to, to what the temple would be. And, um, and only the high priest was allowed to go in there and only once a year. And he would go in with, his, um, with a rope tied around his ankle in case he died. So no one else had to go in there and they might die as well so they could pull him out. And, and there was this incredible scene where... The priest would go in and he would surround himself with incense, clouds of incense. And as the clouds of incense would rise, the cloud of God would descend. And you've got this picture where heaven meets earth, this incredible picture. And, and there was the mercy seat there and the priest would spread blood on the altar, on the mercy seat. And he would ask God for forgiveness for the people for that year. And he would, he would, he would repent on behalf of the nation and the blood would represent a sacrifice. And he would ask God to accept the sacrifice of this blood on behalf of the sins of the nation. We deserve to die, but God, would you forgive us and would you accept this sacrifice? And so this sense of awe, it's this sense where in the temple, that's where heaven meets earth. That's where God meets with his people. And, and, and you get that in the great cathedrals, don't you? In um, around, especially the kind of medieval cathedrals, you go into a cathedral and the first thing you do is just you just look up and you're like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, even when you get to the, the front of a cathedral, if you think about Wells Cathedral or Durham Cathedral, you get there to the front and it's like, wow, look at this entrance. It's incredible. It's intricate. People have spent, and, and you have this sense of awe. And then when you go in, you know, you just, you feel like you have to be quiet and, you, and, you, and you, you're kind of awed by the, 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 the hugeness of it all. And I remember taking my kids into a cathedral just recently and as soon as they go in, they start, they go really quiet. And then Rebecca said to me at one point, Daddy, why, why do we always be quiet in cathedrals? <laughs> and, and it's just that sense, it's designed to make you feel that sense of awe, isn't it? And, and that was what the temple was like uh, for, the, for the people of God. And, 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 and if you read... In 2 Chronicles 7, um, this, when, when they kind of dedicated the temple, it was, they were, we were convinced it would be a place where God would dwell. So it says in 7.14 of 2 Chronicles, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So that's what the Jewish people believed about the temple, that God's eyes and his heart were there, and the prayers offered in that temple would be answered and would be heard by God. The temple was a place where heaven met earth. It was also a place where sins were forgiven and impurity was cleansed. They're two different things. Sins are forgiven and impurity cleansed. In Jesus' day, if you could become impure for all sorts of reasons that weren't sin, you might accidentally touch a dead body. You might have a baby, and that's not a sin. <laughs> but actually, you had to go through a ceremonial purity process after that uh, to make yourself pure again. And so the, the, it was a place where sins are forgiven and impurities 
were cleansed. And, and the point of the sacrifices was that it was, it was so that the people of God could enjoy the unbroken presence of, of him, so that nothing could get in the way of, between them and God and enjoying his presence all the time. This is the, the, temp, the Temple Mount, um, the, the, the Western Wall now, and there's a little bit there where women are allowed to go, just a little bit there, and then that's the men's section, which is a bit unfair, I thought. And then when they had the bar mitzvahs, they all go into that big men's section, and the women stand on steps and step ladders and look over the wall so they can join in as well. Um, and, that's, and it's such a place where you go there and you just, you know, I went there and I put a little prayer written down in, in one of the cracks in the wall, because obviously then God will definitely answer it. And, uh, <laughs> and then there's, there's just thousands of them. There's thousands of them, and people all through the ages have been, um, have been posting their prayers there and, and hoping that God will answer them. But it was a place of sacrifice where sins are forgiven and impurities are cleansed. It was also a source of political power. It was a place where if you were a part of the temple hierarchy you were very influential. If you had something to do with the temple, like when Herod rebuilds the temple and then calls himself the king of the Jews, the reason he can do that is because he's rebuilt the temple. And the, and the reason he rebuilds the temple is not because he's a good Jewish person who thinks it should be rebuilt, because he wants to be popular and he wants to gain power. So it's, the power is always associated with the temple. If you were in there, then you were, you were a powerful person. So... Those are the three things that the temple was. It was a place where heaven met earth. It was a place where sacrifice was made and sins were forgiven. And it was a source of political power. There were people at that time who kind of rebelled against the temple. So you had groups like the Essenes who were like a kind of group of monks, if you kind of compare it to something today. And, and they felt like the temple had been corrupted. And so they withdrew from the temple and like formed these societies in the desert and tried to kind of um, replace the temple with their own rituals. And also the Pharisees, and this was like a really big development in Judaism at that time, the Pharisees had developed this idea that you could meet God, not just at the temple, but around the scriptures. So as they read the scriptures, and that, that meant that the synagogues could spread all over the place because you could still meet God and experience his presence, even if you weren't at the temple, but actually you could meet him around the study of the Bible, the study of the Torah. And so there were people who, who kind of rebelled against the temple, and, and, but, and also the poor saw it as a symbol of oppression as well. But all those groups, even though they were rebelling against the temple, they also longed for the day when it would be restored. So it was still central to the faith, even though if they felt like what went on there was not right at the time. And there was a prophecy that the glory of the new house that was being built would be greater than that of the old house. So there was this prophecy they were holding on to that this, this new temple would contain God's glory in an even greater way than, the, than Solomon's temple. Um, and, and also the prophecy at the end of Malachi, isn't it? Is it Malachi 3.1 when it says, suddenly the Lord will return to the temple. Suddenly the Lord will return. But there's no record after Malachi's prophecy and went until the time of Jesus that the glory of God did return to the temple. So they were holding on to this prophecy that had not been fulfilled. And obviously for us as Christians, we believe that Jesus is God come to earth. And Jesus does return to the temple as uh, you know, in, and, and therefore God returns to the temple. And so, if you want to look just briefly in, in Mark chapter 11, 
Jesus goes on his way to the temple and, and he enters Jerusalem and there's that bit with, that we celebrate on um, the, the week before Easter, Palm Sunday, and he goes in with all the palm branches. And then in verse 12, um, he goes past this fig tree that had, ha- that, and they were looking at it, does it got any fruit? And there was no fruit on the fig tree. And Jesus says to the tree, may no one eat fruit from you ever again. <laughs> Which is a bit cruel to the fig tree. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then he goes into the temple immediately after cursing the fruitless fig tree. And he, tur- and he basically kicks off and he, and he drives people out and he turns over tables and he causes a big fuss. And, and some of that is about, you know, some people say that's just about the immoral practices that they were doing at the time. And so Jesus was judging them in that way. And, but actually, it's more than that, because the reason Mark puts this story about Jesus and the fig tree just then, and the reason that Jesus does that just before that, is it's a sign, because the, the fig tree had no fruit, and there's no point in it if it's got no fruit, and it's redundant, if you like. And, what, and then Jesus goes immediately into the temple, and he basically says, what's going on here is now redundant. Because, and it's not because you're all horrible, evil people, and, and it needs, but actually, it's redundant now because someone is coming, i.e., Jesus, who is replacing all of the things that the temple has stood for, all of the things that the temple functioned as. Someone is replacing those things. Jesus is replacing the temple because Jesus is the place where heaven meets earth. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Jesus is the place, more than anything else, where heaven meets earth. He is God in human flesh. So Jesus is now the place where if we want to meet God, anyone, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And so whereas we would go to the Father through the temple, we now go to the Father through Jesus. Jesus is the place where forgiveness of sins and cleansing from impurity are to be found. Wherever Jesus goes... He says, your sins are forgiven. And people go, wait a minute, you're not allowed to forgive people's sins. Only God can forgive people's sins. And Jesus starts doing the stuff that the temple did. Impure people come to Jesus, and instead of him going, go away from me, don't make me impure, he, I'm just, I know, I know you're, you're not impure. And he, t- <laughs> he touches them, and if he touched them, then it, it, actually he should become impure as well. But actually, it got, he reverses the flow of impurity. And instead of impurity making him impure, holiness makes the impure pure. Does that make sense? And so Jesus reverses the flow of holiness, and he redefines what holiness is. Holiness is not anything to be protected, and we don't need to protect ourselves from the world anymore, but we can go into the world, and we can make it pure, and we can make it holy, because in Jesus, the flow is reversed, and holiness is the contagious thing, not impurity. Does that make sense? That that because of the Spirit of God in us, wherever we go, we can bring purity and holiness, uh, because the flow has been reversed in Jesus. Jesus is becoming the king on earth as he, as he is in heaven. So we, the third thing about the temple was it was a source of political power. It was a source of power. And in Jesus, what is happening is that the, the rulership of this earth is changing and Jesus is now becoming king on earth as he is in heaven. Jesus is replacing the, new t- the, the temple because the glory of the new house is Jesus. He is the new house. And, 
and, and that's what Jesus is doing. And that's partly why it was so ridiculously controversial, <laughs> what Jesus was doing, and partly why people wanted him to be killed, because the center of their faith is now being replaced from a, a place to a person, from a temple to Jesus, who is the true temple of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus breathes on his disciples and he says, do this in my name. Go out in my name and you're my representatives all over the earth, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, and, and so the disciples go around and they start saying things like, God doesn't live in dwellings built by human hands. That's pretty controversial, not just for the Jews, but for the pagans who go and meet their gods at the temple, at the pagan temples. And they're saying, God doesn't live here. He lives within us. He comes and lives within us if you'll receive him, if you'll repent, if you'll turn. These are massive statements that the apostles are making in that culture of that time. And it's not just the apostles, but it's me <laughs> and it's Mary and it's Dan, and it's all of us here that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the, the dwelling place of God. So you could look at um, 2 Corinthians 6 um, if you want. I'm just going to whiz around a few verses. So if you want to check if they're really true, then you can. <laughs> but you can believe me if you want. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. We are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God. It's not just me. We're the temple of the living God together. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. What does that remind you of? I will walk among them. It goes all the way back to Genesis, doesn't it? Genesis 3, God walked in the garden with the, in the cool of the day. God was, and, and once again, God will walk with us. It goes all the way back to the beginning, and it goes all the way to the future in Revelation when Jesus returns, and, and it says, I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. And so it reaches both ways because of what Jesus has done, uh, that those things have come together, uh, that God will once again be our God and will be his people. Ephesians 2.21 you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. We, together with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, we become the holy temple in the Lord. It's amazing, isn't it? If you think about the importance of the temple and all of that that it entailed and the holiness that went with it and the, you know, the, the godly fear, that's us now. <laughs> we're the ones who, who, who are carriers of the presence of God. We're the ones who, who experience all of that stuff. Um, I just want to look now at what, at what the church is. And what does it mean to us? Because if Jesus is all of those things, then now we are. And we're not Jesus, obviously, but we represent him on this earth. And I'm going to do it in reverse order, as, uh, as they do sometimes. Because the if Jesus is becoming king on earth as it is in heaven, if the temple was the source of great power political power on the earth, we are also possessors of great power. 
<laughs> we're, we're possessors of great power. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. And so that isn't something that should make us want to try and take over the world and form our own Christian political party and, um, and try and impose the Sermon on the Mount on everyone or something like that or, the, or worse, the, you know, and, 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 and you see that, don't you see, if only people say, if only there could be a Christian party that, you know, will then take over and everything would be all right. And then you look into church history and you think, yeah, we didn't do that very well, did we? And, and actually, the, the power in the kingdom of God is about giving away and about sacrifice and about pouring out pouring ourselves out and serving others the greatest among you will be the servant of all we're not there to lord it over people the people of you know of this world lord it over people jesus said but we are here to serve and to use the power that we have to and give it away and empower other people and and see that happen and so power in the kingdom of God that we have, which is the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is something to be given away. And, you know, sometimes there is a, a culture of power in churches. And um, sometimes, I remember I was, I had, we had a, someone on a placement with us once at our church, and um, from a different church, and we, I was making a cup of tea for her, and, um, and she said, oh, the pastor of the church is making me a cup of tea. That's wrong. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and um, and there was another time I was um, speaking at uh, one of the Soul Survivor Festivals. And we also, at the Soul Survivor Festivals, we also run um, the, one of the cafes. And that morning I'd been leading the communion for all of the, for the whole place. So like, there's like 10,000 people. Oh no, that was the other one. There's about 6,000 people there. And then this girl came in, and um, I was just like vacuuming the floor, and she was like, oh, you were on stage this morning, but you're vacuuming the floor, that's amazing. <laughs> and for a bit, I was like, yeah, I am amazing, look at me. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to do it for a bit longer, in case like Mike Pilavacci comes in and sees me. And uh, <laughs> like, I'm so servant-hearted. And, um, and actually, I just thought, flip. We've got it so messed up when people think like that because surely that's just the, the obvious thing that a leader should be doing. That's the obvious thing that it shouldn't be surprising. It should be surprising if we're not doing that. Do you know what I mean? It should be surprising if when I go to our church after this and, and we have our food, if I'm not washing up in the kitchen, then that should be a surprise. Why don't you wash up, Chris? Because you're supposed to be, if you're the leader here, one of the leaders, you should be one of the greatest servants as well. And and we've just got it messed up, haven't we, in the church where we think that we should kind of be these detached people and you get to the top of some ladder and, and then you've like, you're all this powerful. But in the kingdom of God, we do have great power, but it's to be given away. It's to be given away. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. So we, so we have great power. We also, as a church, are a place where sins are forgiven and impurity is cleansed. Jesus is in our midst. Jesus is here in this room right now. So it makes sense that if he is here, we can, our sins can be forgiven. It makes sense that as we gather around his table, as we're going to do when we take communion in a bit, it makes sense that our impurities will be cleansed because at Jesus' table in the Bible, People were transformed. Think about Zacchaeus. Jesus goes, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to eat with you. And it costs Zacchaeus a lot 
a lot of money, <laughs> but he was completely transformed. And when we sit at Jesus' table and eat with him, his holiness infects us. Our sins are forgiven and our impurities are cleansed. And, that's, and, and because he's in the midst of us now, you should sense him just tugging at you and just saying, do you know that thing you did this week? Maybe you could repent for that. And maybe this, and you'll experience forgiveness and his love in, in wonderful ways. And um, we, last, a couple of weeks ago, we did um, a week in, the, in Willow Tree School, um, which is the school that we meet in. And we had, uh, we'd set up a prayer room, so like a kind of 24-7 prayer type thing with all of these different stations the kids could go to and express prayer in different ways. And, and it was amazing because like the whole week it was on, uh, so 420 kids, one class at a time, came and experienced the presence of God and prayed to God and spent an hour each just, just experiencing all of these different methods of prayer. And, and, and one of the things we did is that uh, we, they could write down their sins, the things that they'd done wrong, on a little person, like an acetate sheet, and then they would put it in uh, a bit of water. And, and because of the pen we gave them, it just like all washes off into the water. And, and the kids, time and time again, they were like, oh, my sins are being washed away. <laughs> Loads of them said it. None of them had heard of the Lord's Prayer, probably in a school of 420 kids, maybe about 15 children had heard of, what the, Lord, of the Lord's Prayer. But actually... Instantly, they didn't have any Christian language whatsoever, but as soon as that, that person went in, they said, my sins are being washed away. <laughs> and I was like, that's right. That's what Jesus does for you. And that's what Jesus does for us as we get into his presence. And that's what baptism symbolizes, isn't it? The washing away of our sins. The washing away of our sins. And, and as people come and as we come, our sins can be forgiven and our impurities can be cleansed. The last thing I want to say is that we're a place where heaven meets earth. We are carriers of his presence. We are people who, wherever we go... So in, um, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it, also, it says that, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So not just as we come together, but our, our, as individuals, we're also temples of the Holy Spirit. So there's two things there. When we gather together, there's a special sense of his presence and that's why I'm always gutted when I meet friends of mine who are Christians say, I'm not really going to bother with church anymore. I'm a Christian. I've got the Holy Spirit. I can listen to podcasts. I can, you know, I can worship God in, on my own in different ways. And I don't need to be part of a church. And I'm always gutted because I just think, actually, there's something that is irreplaceable about coming together like this in that we sense his presence with us and that we experience something special. It's like a donut, that, a ring donut. That, you know, it's nice and tasty around the outside, but there's nothing in the middle of it. And I like the kind of jam in the middle and stuff. And, and you don't get that bit when you don't come together. And the beautiful thing is that the same presence that I'm sensing with you today, when I go to the school hall in a few minutes after I've done this and meet with my church, then they... I'm going to experience the same sense of the presence of God, and I'll feel as at home there as I do here. And then when I'm speaking somewhere else next week, I'll, and you just sense the same thing, and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm home again. And we're, even if I don't know many people in the room, I'm, I'm at home because we're carriers of the presence of God. And so I encourage you, especially often we, um, when we go through difficult times, we, we pull away from church. I would encourage you more than ever when you go through difficult times to engage with church because this is the place where sins are forgiven, impurities cleansed, and, and, um, and we get healed. 
Um, and so there's that thing as we gather, but also as we go. So tomorrow, when most of you are not together, but you're at jobs and you, you are temples of the Holy Spirit, you are carriers of his presence, wherever you're going, if you're at work or a toddler group or whatever you're doing, you are a carrier of the presence of God. You experience him in that way. And um, there's one story to finish, if that's all right. Um, I, I, was on, um, I was visiting one of my friends a couple of months ago and we were just walking down Watford High Street and, um, and we were chatting about all this stuff, you know, how do we, how do we connect people uh, that we know that don't really fit into church? How do they meet with God normally and, you know, in their lives? Because God is anywhere. And, and then we, there was just a couple of lads that my friend um, knew and they were just walking past just outside McDonald's and they came over to talk to us and they were proper rough lads. One of them had like scab, big massive scabs all, all on each knuckle. He'd just been having a fight. And, and another, the other lad said, oh, I'm doing really well at the moment. I've, got, um, I've, only, I've, only, I've not smoked weed for five days. <laughs> and he was really chuffed with himself. And, um, and one of them had just got this job. And, and, and my friend said to him, um, oh, uh, this is Chris, my friend. He's a vicar. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not a vicar, <laughs> but I, didn't, I thought I'd just play along with it. And um, so I was like, yeah, I'm a vicar. And, um, and then she said, oh, Chris will pray for you. Can we pray for you for anything? <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm like, I'm a bit awkward about this because I'm thinking, like, it's going to be embarrassing for them. I don't want to put any pressure on them. And, 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 she, and he said, oh, yeah, well, I've got this sore hand and, um, like, he does scaffolding, sets up scaffolding. Can you pray for my, ha- for my wrist? Because I can't, like, squeeze it properly and it really hurts when I try and do that. And so I put, <laughs> I put my hand on his wrist and I was totally embarrassed. And, and, and I was just sat outside McDonald's. And I was like, and as soon as I put my hand on his wrist, I just felt all this heat, like, f- flow through my arm and into my hand. I was like, what the heck is going on here? And, I, and I'm feeling dead awkward. I'm not feeling any way spiritual. I just want it to be over as soon as possible. But I feel this thing. And then I look at the guy and he's got his eyes closed and he's going like this. <laughs> and I'm like, well. So I like put my hand on his shoulder whilst I've got this hand on his wrist to try not to let him fall over. I'm probably thinking it's more embarrassing for me than him, to be honest. Uh, but, um, and then he, he opens his eyes and says a few words that I won't repeat to you this morning because <laughs> you're all nice Christians. And, um, and he goes, oh, I just felt like uh, I, knew, I nearly was going to fall over. And, um, and as soon as you put your hand on my wrist, like all this heat started going into my wrist. And I was like, you felt that too? And I was like... <clears throat> yeah, well, that's just, that's just Jesus, and, you know, it's just what happens every time I pray for people. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and, he, and he said, and he's like, the pain's nearly all gone. There's just a tiny bit left. And so we prayed again, and it totally went. And, when we, and, um, and my friend said to him, oh, you know, you maybe should, like, if Jesus has been that kind to you, healing you, then maybe you should give your life to him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. I do want to follow Jesus and, and try my best. And, and we just walked off. And, and I was like, I think that was like a miracle. <laughs> That's my friend. And, um, and, and it was just really awkward and really embarrassing. And, and yet, like, it was the same sense of God's presence that I get, like, here when we were singing and stuff, and the same sense of God's presence of when he's really close to us. And, and I was thinking, actually, 
God can meet with anyone, anywhere, at any time, because I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it sounds a bit arrogant, doesn't it? But it's true, because he's filled me with his spirit, and he's filled you with his spirit as well. And, where, and wherever you go tomorrow, you can experience the same presence that you sense here. Wherever You can experience the power of God in exactly the same way, and, and he can meet with you, and he can meet with others through you, because we're a people who the same power that lives in Jesus, that raised him from the dead, lives in us. We're a place together where forgiveness of sins can be found and you, your sins can be forgiven. And we're a people who can see heaven touching earth in and through us as a group and as individuals as we go. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for just the truth that we're temples of the Spirit. And together, we, are, we rise up to you as a temple together, the dwelling place of God on earth. Thank you for that incredible responsibility. And we pray that we'd see some of that reality this week. Thank you that you can do anything, even when we feel really awkward and embarrassed, that your power is still available for us even when we don't want to do it and we don't want to speak out and we don't want to put our hand on someone to pray for them, that you're still there and you love those people. And Lord, as we take communion now, we pray that you would, we would experience the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing of impurity, heaven touching earth and your wonderful healing. In Jesus' name, amen.